Last week, we started a new series called Open Doors. And I truly believe, as the pastor of the crossing, I feel like our church is in a season of open doors. And I just believe the Lord is doing something special in the season that we're in. And honestly, I felt it all week. We've had, we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer. Talk more about that in a little bit. But we're in a season of open doors. And we're looking at the church in the book of Acts. And we're asking this question. What type of church does God open doors for? What kind of people does God open doors for? What kind of person does God open doors for? And last week we talked about how God opens doors for a people who pray. This week we are going to talk about a key ingredient to open doors that I think is often overlooked. I mean, everyone knows that we should pray, but this one you might not think about often, but it's in the scriptures a lot. And so we're going to go and we're going to look in the book of Acts. Now, Acts chapter 1 through 4, it's a big party, okay? The church is exploding, it's exciting, miracles are happening. And then in chapter 5, it's like that needle scratch on a record. The music stops in Acts chapter 5. And here's what happens. Uh, So a great spirit of generosity had filled the church. People were selling their possessions and then bringing the money to the church and letting the church distribute the money as needed. Well, there was this couple within the church And I guess maybe they noticed that people were getting uh, honored or people were respected when they would sell something and bring it to the church. So they decided to sell a piece of property they owned. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife. But when they sell the property, they keep some of the money for themselves, which, by the way, that's not wrong. It's not wrong for them to keep it. But what they did that was wrong is they acted like, and they made everyone else think, that they had actually given all the money from the proceeds from the sale of the property, when in fact they hadn't. So they lied. They lied to the church. They lied to the leaders of the church. And what happens next is crazy. It's also terrifying and scary. In the midst of everyone, Peter, who's leader of the church, rebukes the husband and wife and says, you have lied. Why have you lied? Why have you contrived in your heart to lie? And, what, and then, and then what, <laughs> the Bible says that they both fall down and die. They are struck dead in the church service. I mean, I thought we were supposed to raise the dead, Peter, but here we are striking down people in the church. Presumably, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit strikes Ananias and Sapphira dead for their lying. I mean, can you imagine today... If that were to happen, what the, what the Google review of that church would be if you went online? Zero stars. Do not attend this church. A man got struck down for holding back his offering. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy what happens. But the result of what happens, I want to read this now. Acts chapter 5, verses 11 through 16. Listen to what the Bible says. And great fear came upon the whole church. And upon all of those who heard these things. There it is. That's what I want to talk about today. Fear. Fear is a key ingredient to seeing God move in your midst. And you say, well, that doesn't sound right. I thought we're supposed to rebuke fear and fear not. There's one fear that you should have in your life. And it's called the fear of the Lord. If you want God to open doors, you must fear him. Here's what happens when we fear the Lord. Keep reading in verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders 
were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets, then laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns in Jerusalem, bringing the sick, those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. What happens when people fear the Lord, a true, genuine fear of the Lord, is that the church thrives. And you'll see this all throughout Acts, Acts chapter 9. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Acts 10, Cornelius is a man who fears the Lord, it says. And he is the key to the gospel going to the Gentiles. Acts 19, 17, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who are now uh, believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value of it and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. A key ingredient to an open door in your life, to an open door in a church, is that there must be a people. You must, I must, we must have a healthy fear of the Lord. The question is, do you fear God today? Do you fear him? John Bevere says this, to fear God is to reverence and to be in complete awe of him. To fear God is to hallow him, to respect him greatly. To fear God is to esteem, respect, venerate and adore him above anyone or anything else. What God loves, we love. And what God hates, we hate. You say, oh, God doesn't hate anything. Read your Bible again. Go back and read Proverbs where it talks about seven. These are seven things the Lord hates. If you have a fear of God, you know what you do? You quit flirting with sin. You, qu you quit letting sin hang around in your life and you develop a hatred towards sin. I didn't say a hatred towards people. I said a hatred towards sin because God hates it. You, and, and if you just think sin is okay to just exist in your life and God doesn't care about it, then you're not taking God seriously in your life. You're not fearing him. To fear God means you quit taking the Lord casually and you start taking him seriously. Now, electricity is a good thing. It gives us everything we love, right? In the summer, I love air conditioning. I'm thanking God for AC. Uh, I love to have my food cooked. I love light. I love my cell phone that I can charge. Electricity is a good thing. You can't go too far without electricity. But here's the thing. It's good, but you're not going to play around with it. You don't take a screwdriver in your hand and go stick it in a socket today at your house. Why? Because even though it's good, it's powerful. It's stronger than you. It can kill you. God is the same way. Some people just think God's this big loving teddy bear in the sky and you can just get away with anything you want because God is love. And they forget that God is the righteous judge of the universe. I mean, when Daniel has a vision of God, Daniel said, I looked and I saw the ancient of days who sits upon a throne and the throne is like a blazing fire 
And when he sits down, there's thousands upon thousands of angels that attend to him. Tens of thousands at his beck and call. He's captain of the heavenly hosts. He is holy, holy, holy. There's nobody or nothing like him. He stands in a category of his own. He is good, but he's also too wonderful for words. He could take your very breath away. In fact, he holds your breath in his hands today. And the moment he wants to take it from you, he can do it. And what can you do about it? Who does God answer to? He answers to nobody. He is God all by himself today. He's God almighty. And he deserves to be feared, honored, respect put in his proper place. Do you fear him? Do you fear God? I didn't ask if you loved him. I asked if you feared him. Now, John Bevere is the guy who preaches often about the fear of the Lord. He says it's the message of his life. I'm using his book today, referencing his book. But he tells a story that's so interesting. You know, in the world of church, we've seen some pretty big Big name pastors, big name ministries fall um, over the years. And there were some big ones in the 80s and the 90s, like worldwide ministries that everybody knew about. There was a particular evangelist who was a worldwide evangelist, had a huge following, but he ended up having uh, an an adulterous affair. And he also got arrested for uh, mail fraud. And he was in this, this... man who was revered and loved and respected and had this great wide ministry. Now he's disgraced and he's in prison. John Bevere goes to visit him and he sits down with him and they talk for a while. And then finally John asks him, okay, I want to know how you got here. How did you go from telling everybody about Jesus and, and, and having this big ministry, how did you go from that to doing what you did? How did you get to that place? He says, I want to know, when did you stop loving Jesus? And the evangelist said, I never stopped loving Jesus. And he said, what do you mean you never stopped loving Jesus? Look what you did. How can you love Jesus and do that? He said, no, I never stopped loving Jesus, John. I stopped fearing him. I didn't have the fear of the Lord in my life. John Bevere said that shook him to his core. So I'm not asking if you love Jesus today. I'm asking if you fear him. Do you fear God Almighty and who he is? Because we can't just pick and choose the parts of God that we like and things we dislike. We can't make a God in our own image. When we serve God, we must serve him for who he is. And when you get God, you don't just get some of him, you get all of him all of his attributes. You don't just get the love of God, you also get the holiness of God. He's not just the Savior, he's also the judge of the world. He is God. It's all or nothing with him. And when we talk about having all of God, in the Bible, the manifest presence of God, often talked about, is the glory of God. The glory of God. What is the the glory of God? In Hebrew, that word is kavod. It means weightiness or heaviness. It's majesty and honor. So think about when you honor someone. When you show someone honor, what do you do? You add weight to them. You give them weight. You don't make light of them. Has anybody ever made light of you? And how did that make you feel when someone made light of you? 
I mean, it doesn't make you feel great, but when you honor someone, you're, you're making much of them. And in Exodus 39, Moses asked God, show me your glory. What is Moses asking for? He was saying, God, I want to see all that you are. I've seen some of you, but I want all of you, which is a really, a really kind of crazy request. He says, I want, I want you to be more fully yourself before me, God. And Moses, and, and God tells Moses, Moses, you can't handle all of me. I'm too much for you. And I will let you see my glory, but I can't unleash my full glory on you because it would be detrimental to you. Now, in the Old Testament, where did God's glory dwell on the earth? Well, God's glory dwelled at the tabernacle that he had Moses built, later the temple. But in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, which was three sections, the glory dwelled in the innermost place. It was called the Holy of Holies. And it rested upon something known as the Ark of the Covenant. In the Old Testament, the glory of God, right, dwelled or rested on the Ark of the Covenant. We first see the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 25. That word Ark, by the way, just means box or chest. God commands Moses to build this chest of acacia wood. And within the Ark, what is placed is the testimony or the Ten Commandments. The, the ones God had written on, uh, the stone tablets he gave to Moses, that was inside of the Ark of the, Test, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark was the mercy seat. And this was a golden plate upon which two cherubim with raised wings faced each other, and they covered the Ark. And from between the two cherubim, God promised Moses, this is where I'll speak to you from, Moses. And this Ark is to be placed in the innermost, the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle, all right, and that is where the glory of God is going to dwell. And you say, well, what, isn't, the, isn't God omnipresent? Isn't he present everywhere? And the, and the truth is, yes, God is omnipresent, which means that he's present in all places. But here's the thing. God is not present in the same way in all places. This is why he tells Moses in Exodus to even construct a tabernacle, because God doesn't want just a general omnipresence. He wants a particular localized place where he dwells, a sanctuary where it's evident that God is in the midst of his people and the people know it. So he dwells amongst his people in the tabernacle, but even in the tabernacle, there's levels of his presence. All right. In the outer court, which was accessible to all Israel, this is where the sacrifices were made. God was present there, but in the holy place inside, this is where priests only priests are allowed to enter. They would burn incense and the, the candlestick of God was in there. Fresh break, bread was in there before the presence of God. But then the third room, the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, this is where the high priest would go and he was only allowed in there one day a year because God's presence dwelled there undiluted. It was so strong that the children of Israel had to be shielded from it for the holiness of God would utterly destroy any sin or impurity in someone. And so the most heavily concentrated presence of God on the earth was right there localized in the Holy of Holies where the ark dwells. And so that was where his glory dwelled. And I want to take a few moments today because I think the fear of the Lord and the glory of God go together 
And I want to take a few moments today, and I want us to look at some examples in the Old Testament of people who didn't fear the Lord. And then I'll give one example of someone who did. But when you don't fear the Lord, the results can be disastrous. When we treat God casually and we don't take God seriously, we can get in trouble. And I want to show you, remember, the glory of God dwells on the ark. I want to show you, walk through Israel's history, uh, specifically starting in 2 Samuel. And I want to show you how there were different reactions to the ark of the covenant. People treated it differently and how they treated it determined the results of their life. All right, the first group of people that, had, that took care of the Ark of the Covenant uh, when the children of Israel came into uh, the Promised Land, we see in, in the book of 2 Samuel, were a family of priests known as Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. This was a family. Eli was the father of the high priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, helped with the offerings of the Lord before the Ark of the Covenant. These today, this family represents to us half-hearted Christians. Okay, so the ark was with the Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness. But when they came into the promised land, it first rested in a city called Shiloh. There the ark was kept in a sanctuary. And it was during the time of Samuel that the ark was in the custody of Eli and his family, who could trace their roots all the way back to Moses himself. But Eli, the priest and his sons who oversaw the ark and the offerings, they were wicked in God's sight. God says they treated his offerings with contempt. They were stealing the offerings of the people would bring an offering and they would steal it for themselves. They would also had seduced some women that worked at the, at the tabernacle. They, the, the two sons seduced them and were sleeping with women and they had no fear of the Lord in their life. And God rebukes Eli the priest and tells him this in 1 Samuel 2.30. He says, I will honor those who honor me but I will despise those who think lightly of me. You see, half-hearted Christians today are those who know the truth, yet they think they don't have to fully live it out, and God is okay with it. These were priests of God. They knew God's word. They knew what was right and wrong. They were to take care of the offerings of God, yet they were living how they wanted to live, and they thought it didn't matter. But no, listen to what Isaiah 66, 2 says. He says, all these things my hand has made. So all these things came, came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who has a humble and contrite heart or contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. If you fear God, you will tremble at the word of God. Do you remember what was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the Word of God rested in the Ark of the Covenant. And here is Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, and they are living halfway lives. They are tolerating, they are uh, going after sin. They are running after sin in their lives and yet trying to come to the house of God and also make sacrifices. They're half-hearted and the Lord won't have it. 
Do you tremble at the word of God today? Let me ask you a question. Is there some secret sin in your life that you're actively pursuing that no one else knows about, but you're also still trying to serve God at the same time? And for some reason in your mind, you figured that, well, God will just overlook this in my life. God will just, he, he is love. He knows we all sin and, and it, it's okay. Somehow you've justified something in your mind that is clearly spelled out wrong in the scriptures. You do not tremble at at his word, and it will end up disastrous in your life, just like it was for Hophni and Phinehas. You see, here's what happens. The children of Israel are in a war with a group known as the Philistines, and it's looking bad. It's not looking good. And so you know what they do? They run and they go grab the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it out to the battle line. They try to use it as a good luck charm, and everybody shouts, the Ark is here. We're going to win this battle. But here's the deal. They weren't really serving God. They just wanted to use God when they got in trouble. Get us out of our trouble, God. We've half-heartedly served you. Now we're in trouble. Come and get us out of it. It's a desperate measure to avert defeat. But you know what? God allows the ark to be captured. The Israelites lose that day. Hophni and Phinehas die. And when the word comes back to Eli that Hophni and Phinehas have died, the Bible says that he falls backwards out of a chair and his neck is broken, and he died. They all died on the same day. They thought they could live halfway lives and then use God when they're in trouble and that God was just going to come to their aid and save them all, and it didn't work like that. No, 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 no. If you tremble at his word, he will look to you and have favor on you. But if you're living a half-hearted lifestyle today, you need to repent and have the fear of the Lord in your life. The next people who get a hold of the ark are the Philistines. And for us today, these represent idol worshipers, right? So these people don't even really serve God. They don't even really know Yahweh. They have their own gods. So the Philistines, they possess the ark of God for seven months. And they take it and they put the ark of God, they take the ark of God into the, into the temple of their God. Their, temples, uh, their God's name was Dagon. They take it into the Dagon. They, they, they take the ark and they put it right next to Dagon and they think, hey, Here's another God. We can, we've got multiple gods. We'll just, you know, we, we, we'll serve all of them. So they bring the, the Ark of the Covenant in there and they set it next to a statue of their God. Well, they come in the next day and their God has fallen over on its face. <laughs> oh, and so they prop up their God. I don't want to serve a God that I have to prop up, okay? They prop up their God they come back the next day, he's fallen again and his arms have been chopped off and he's laying there broken. <laughs> no gods can stand next to the God of Israel. All gods must bow. And, and, what, and, and then when God is in their midst, you know what happens? They start, like a bubonic plague. You can read it in 2 Samuel. A plague breaks out in the Philistine cities. Eventually, the Philistines decide, we don't want this God. <laughs> We don't want Yahweh of Israel. And they send Yahweh back to Israel. They're like, you know what, guys? You can have this one back, okay? He's destroyed our God, and now we all got the plague. And well, they just get rid of him. Listen, I want to tell you something today. God will not be equal with anyone or anything else in your life. God will not take second place in your life. It is all or nothing with God. It is either you're going to serve him all the way, you're going to give him your heart all the way, 
And you're going to say, God, there's no other gods before you because God won't play second fiddle. The Bible says God is a jealous God. He earnestly longs for you and he demands that you give him your whole heart. We are to worship no idols. When they send the ark back, it goes to a city in Israel known as Beth Shemesh. And it stays there for a little while. But there are some men in Beth Shemesh that they come up and they they. They open the ark to look inside of it to see what's there. It says 70 men and God struck them dead because they improperly, uh, they, did, they did not come into the presence of God properly. The men of Beth Shemesh today, they represent those who are casual in the presence of God. Casual in the presence of God. Listen what happens in 1 Samuel 6.20 after God strikes them down. They say, who is able to stand before the Lord? This God is holy. And to whom shall he go away from us? <laughs> They're scared. They're scared. They realize God is holy. We can't just casually treat God any way we want to. We must treat him holy. Let me ask you a question. Do you treat God holy in your life today? Are you casual about who God is? When was the last time you just stood in awe of who he is? I'm going to tell you a little secret about God. If you will stand in awe of who he is, if you will honor him, God will manifest his glory to you. When you take God lightly, you won't experience his presence. Maybe you're at church and you see someone crying and you're skeptical or you see him lifting their hands. Maybe they get excited and they shout and they run and you get skeptical of people that are experiencing God that way. And you say, oh, those people are just emotional. If this were, if this were real, why wouldn't it be happening to me? We're in the same room. Well, the question is, do you honor God? Do you think much of him? Do you fear him? Because if you do, he will manifest himself to you like he is to someone else. But if you sit there with your arms folded, if you sit there with your mouth closed, if you sit there without any reverential awe and respect and fear of God in your life, you'll never experience the life-giving presence of God. It's when we honor him that he will honor us back. The next person who comes into possession of the ark is King Saul. For 20 years, during the reign of King Saul, the ark was moved to a city called Kiriath-Jerim, and it was there for 20 years. Saul's Israel's first king. The ark of God, though, in those days, it tells us that it fell into oblivion during the days of Saul. The Bible says that Saul neglected the ark of God. Saul was indifferent towards the glory of God. It was he, he did his whole kingship. He did his whole life, and he didn't pursue the ark of God. But he said, hey, I'm just going to be a king. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a successful career, and, and, and that's what I'm going after. And Saul ignores God. Saul today represents those who ignore God. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I think there's a lot of people who just ignore God. They ignore his existence. They, they plan their whole life. They schedule their whole life, their career, their family, and they never give God a second thought. And, and you know what? I am convinced even, sometimes I wonder, God, how are these people that don't even acknowledge you? How are they so successful? Why do they make so much money? They, even, they, they seem happy. 
You know, it's like, God, how can that be? These people that just ignore you in the world and they seem so happy. And, and, and you can, the truth is, in America, you can, I think you can experience a level of happiness. I think you can experience a level of success and you can do it all on your own without God. But here's what you're forgetting. One day you're going to die. One day your life will be over. And you know what happens then? At that point, you can no longer ignore God. You might be able to ignore him now, but there will come a day when you cannot ignore him because you will be standing before him. The Bible talks about the great white throne of judgment. There is a day when you will stand before God and you will have to give an account of your life. You didn't give yourself breath. You didn't give yourself life. You're not making your own heart beat right now. He is. He gave that to you. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to him. And you will have to give an account of how you lived your life. Don't ignore God. Don't ignore him. Because one day you're going to stand before him. And I, 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 I want to know God now. I want to serve God now. I want to fear God now. That way when I stand before him one day, I'm not going to be scared of God. I'll fear and respect him, but I won't be scared of him. Oh, because I know he loves me and I love him. Don't ignore God. Here's the last one. Here's a good example. David. David is a king who fears the Lord. When David becomes king after Saul, do you know what his first priority was? The first priority of him was to go and get the ark of God and to bring it to where he was. David himself was going to learn to fear the Lord, but he desired the ark. He desired to bring God's presence. He wasn't going to ignore it like Saul did. So, so he has a little bit of a false start, though, with the ark. He goes and he gets the ark from Kiriath-Jerim, and he throws a big parade. There's 30,000 soldiers in the streets. But David soon realizes that even though he's trying to do the right thing, he's doing it the wrong way. He doesn't treat the ark with respect and care. David puts the ark, it says, on a cart that's carried by oxen. Well, you have to go back and study the Levitical law, and you'll see the ark was never meant to be carried on, an, on an, a cart, that the ark was carried on the backs of the people, and uh, of the priests. And they had to carry it on their shoulders. But they weren't doing that. But anyways, David's throwing a party. They're dancing before the Lord, having a good time. But the oxen stumbles and the ark is going to fall. And a man named Uzzah reaches out his hand and he touches the ark to keep it from falling. And you know what happens in that moment? God strikes Uzzah dead. Now that'll crash the party right there. <laughs> David's trying to do the right thing. But he's going about it the wrong way. And David gets mad at God. And you know what? You probably would too. I would too. I would say, Saul ignored you. I'm trying to bring you back into the kingdom. I'm trying to get you in the city of Jerusalem, God. And you just stop the parade and kill one of my men. And then it says, and David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The Bible says for three months, the ark of God is at Obed-Edom's house. And you know what? It says that Obed-Edom was blessed in those three months. Obed-Edom's life was, his home was flourishing. 
It was going awesome because the ark of God, the glory of God was at his house. And David gets jealous. And he says, okay, I can't take this. I need that glory. I need that presence in Jerusalem. I need it at my house. And he says, I'm going to go back and get it. But this time, David takes it. He's got the right desire, but now he's going to go about it the right way. He decides to walk with fear and trembling. So the priests, they put the ark on their shoulders and they carry it. That's how it was always supposed to be carried. And the Bible says every six steps that they took, they would stop and make a sacrifice. Every six steps. My goodness, I don't know how long it was. I looked it up. Some were saying it was a mile, five miles, 15 miles. I don't think we really know. But all I know is, can you imagine how long it would take? How slow of a walk that is? Every six steps, I'm going to stop and I'm going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. It's a slow walk, but it was a holy pace. David knows when you try to do it your way, when you try to do it how you think best, it ends up disastrous. But when you'll go the way of God, the way of holiness, the way of sacrifice. He finally makes it to Jerusalem. It was slow, but he gets there and he dances and rejoices. And he sets up a tabernacle where there's 24 hours a day worship before the ark. He honors God. And you know what God does? God honors David. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus is called the son of David. Why is Jesus called the son of David? I'll tell you why. Because David honored and feared the Lord. God honored David. God said, David, I'm gonna, I see your heart. I see you're walking before me. You've honored me. Now I'm going to honor you. The Messiah will come through your lineage. The very blessing of the earth is going to come through your loins. I'm going to change the world through you. David and Jesus, even today, is worshiped in heaven as Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David. <laughs> when you honor God, God will honor you. That's what we're trying to do here at the crossing. We're trying to, we're in a season of honoring God, making time. We're in this 21 days of prayer. And, when, and, and, and there's just a heightened sense and, and an awareness of God's presence in the church right now. That's, it's not been normal for me. I just sense God's presence in such a strong way. In these prayer times, I do. Because when you'll honor God, oh, he'll honor you. And that real presence will come and manifest itself. This past Tuesday, um, while we were in the prayer room, Someone that I trust, I don't think they're making this up. I really believe it was from the Lord. On Tuesday at the noontime of prayer, this is a testimony from someone that was in the prayer room. They said, I received an open vision from the Lord. It was as if the veil between the seen and the unseen realm was opened. And he said, I saw a ladder burst through the ceiling of the youth sanctuary, which is where we pray. He said the ladder gently landed on the floor and angels began descending and ascending the ladder. I could hear in my spirit a voice declaring, this is the house of God. You have been granted access. There is an open invitation, an open door. There's no reason to wait. 
There is so much more I have in store for you. Come inside. And this is what this person says. He says, a holy fear came over me. And all I could do was lie face down in reverence and in awe. It was a terror that I've never felt before being in the presence of the Lord's angels. Man, surely the Lord is in this place. And, and when you encounter God in such a strong way, it will, not that you love God, it's not that you love Him, and you're not scared per se of God. You're actually, the fear of the Lord is you're actually terrified to live your life without God. You're terrified to go about your days without Him. And there's just this, sometimes in the presence of God, there's this moment where it's like, I don't want to move right now. I, I don't want to move. Why? It's the, the, the mighty power and glory of God is in the room. And I believe we're in a season like that where the glory of God is coming. And if we will fear the Lord, like the church in Acts feared the Lord, like David feared the Lord, I believe that God will uh, do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think in our city and in our lifetime. So I wanna challenge you today. Let's be a church. Let's be a people that fear the Lord. Father, I pray for your people today. I pray, Lord, we repent for treating you casually. We don't want to treat you casually. May we tremble in your presence. May we tremble at your word. May we not just love you, but may we fear you. And when we fear the Lord, oh, it is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of blessing in our life. I believe that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for watching. Hey, you, you need to come. You need to come be in the prayer room, 6 a.m. or 12 p.m. Come be there and... God's moving. You want to be there. We'll see you soon.